0: Welcome to Reign of Grace. This program is brought to you by Reign of Grace Media Ministries, an outreach ministry of Eager Avenue Grace Church in Albany, Georgia. It is our pleasure and privilege to present to you the gospel message of the sovereign grace and glory of God in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that today's program will be a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. And now for today's program.
1: Welcome to our program. I'm glad you could join us. If you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, I'm going to be preaching from the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And chapter 13 is the beginning of what we call the upper room discourses. It's where Christ had all... In John chapter 12, He had ended His public ministry to uh, to the people at large. And He took His disciples as they came in uh, 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 into an upper room to uh, deal with them and to teach them as his disciples, the apostles and the disciples, one being false, which was Judas. And he taught them the things that he would accomplish on Calvary. And he used illustrations. And one of the illustrations was uh, washing their feet. And we're going to look at that And I've entitled this message, The Lord's Humble Servant. The Lord's Humble Servant. And when I say the Lord's Humble Servant, I'm talking about Christ Himself, who was the humble servant of God. And this is an amazing truth because in things like this, we see the multifaceted value of both the person and work of Christ. For example, Christ. Himself, as the second person of the Trinity, co-equal with the Father and the Spirit, one God with three persons, but Christ, as the second person of the Trinity, is the sovereign creator and ruler of this universe. And that's His power is limitless. He's omnipotent, omniscient. Every attribute of deity belongs to Christ. The God-man, And yet at the same time, he is a humble servant of the Lord. Servant of the Father. And how, in what sense is he the servant? Well, this is the covenant of grace made before the world began, before uh, God created anything. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit covenanted together to glorify the Godhead in the salvation of sinners by the Son, the second person of the Trinity, who willingly submitted Himself to the Father to be His servant, to come and, and to do for His people, given to Him before the foundation of the world, the elect, to do for them what they could not do for themselves. And that is accomplish salvation. And in essence... making himself the servant of the Father, he became the servant of his people. He's the suffering servant. And in all of that capacity, what did he do? He served his people to do what was necessary for their salvation. Now that's illustrated in his washing the disciples' feet. And so let's look at this in John 13 verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Now this is the issue of Christ's work. Here they are coming before the Passover. And of course you know the Passover was one of the main feast of the Jewish nation under the Old Covenant. And that Passover pictured God passing over His people, in other words, not bringing His wrath down upon them for their sins, based upon the blood of a lamb. And that lamb and that blood, that that was a symbol, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And that's what that Passover was all about. That spotless lamb who was killed and the blood put over the doorpost. And remember, God said, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that's the blood of Christ for his spiritual and eternal people. And it says here Jesus knew that his hour was come, he knew that he was coming to the point where he would be arrested and tried and that He would go to the cross and die, and be buried and raised again the third day. So all of this, and He says, listen, this is is precious. In verse 1, it says, Having loved His own which were in the world. Who is that? That's His sheep. That's God's elect. He said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. His own, those are are the people that He owns that were given to Him by the Father before the world began. And having loved His own, which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. That means unto the finishing of the work. And what was the finishing of the work? The cross, His death. On the cross was the finish of the work. John 19.30, when he's hanging on the cross, he said, It is finished. The Bible says in Romans 10.4 that Christ is the end of the law, the finishing of it, the perfection of it, of the law, for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So having loved his own, not everybody without exception now, he loved them unto the finishing of the work. And then look at verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Judas was a false apostle. Judas was not somebody who was saved and then lost his salvation. That's impossible. But he was a false apostle. The Bible says he was marked out from the beginning for this task, to betray the Lord. And now the devil having now put into the heart of Judas... Simon's son, to betray Christ. Verse 3 says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. This is the fullness of the Godhead bodily in the person of Christ. All things are given into his hands. All of the salvation of his loved ones, the ones whom he loved, for whom he was going to finish the work. All of their salvation was put in His hands. Not in yours, not in mine, but in Christ's hands. All of it conditioned on Him. That's what grace is all about. Salvation conditioned on Christ alone. And understand that. When you hear preachers talk about salvation conditioned on you in some way, at some stage, to some degree, they're not preaching the gospel. The gospel of salvation conditioned on Christ who by himself as the surety, substitute and redeemer of his people fulfilled all the conditions required to ensure their salvation unto eternal glory. And that includes the new birth. They will be born again. He said again, all that the Father given me shall come to me. And all who are going to and him that comes to me, I will no wise cast out. Only ones who are going to come to him are those who are born again. Are you interested in that? You should be. Pray that the Lord give you eyes to see and ears to hear. So he says in verse 4, He riseth from supper, laid aside his garments, that is his outer garments, so that he could stoop down, and took a towel and girded himself, and after he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Now that was an example of his own humility to serve his people, his, the ones he loved. And he's illustrating a point here. You know, back then, it was this was a common a courtesy that when they went to visit somebody in somebody's household, because of the dusty land and they wore sandals, the first thing they did is one of the servants of the house, not the master now of the house, not the owner of the house, but one of the servants, one of the lowliest servants, would wash the feet of the visitor so that they'd be clean. And so, in the eyes of of natural man this was unheard of for the listen one who is God manifest in the flesh in whose hands all salvation has been placed who's the sovereign of the universe stooping down to wash a sinner's foot a a, a, a man's or woman's feet especially a sinful man or woman Are are you kidding me I mean that's That's the kind of astonishment that's going on here. But Christ is making a point. This is exactly what He would do in order to save us from our sins. Not literally washing feet in water, but washing His people in His own blood. And I believe the washing of the feet here is indicative of of the way that we conduct ourselves the way we go, our walk. Because without Christ, our walk is an unclean walk from the head to the toe. But as we're washed in the blood of Christ, our walk is cleansed by the blood of Christ. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But he's washing their feet. And it was illustrating how he must wash them in his own blood, not just their feet, but their whole person. Look, It says in verse 6, Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Peter was astonished. And he, you know, Peter sometimes, he was kind of a big mouth. And he spoke where uh, his tongue went where his brain followed. Uh, And it says, Jesus answered, verse 7 unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. I'm doing something. You don't know the significance of it now, but you'll know hereafter. And it says in verse 8, Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, now listen to what he says, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Now this is a great example. of A lot of times when we see Christ speaking to different people, even to his disciples, he spoke of spiritual things, but they had their mind on physical, earthly things. That's what happened when Christ approached Nicodemus about the new birth. Remember, he said you must be born again, and he's speaking of spiritual birth, birth from above. Actually, instead of born again, it should be born from above. A spiritual birth. And you remember what Nicodemus said? How can a man be born again? Can he enter into his mother's womb again and be born? Well, that see, Nicodemus had his mind on earthly things. Well, it's the same with Peter here. Even though he was a disciple of Christ and had learned much, he still, like sinners saved by grace, like, well, sometimes we have our mind on earthly things when we have, should have our mind on spiritual things. And so Christ is said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Now he's speaking of what his, feet, his washing Peter's feet illustrated spiritually. And so Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. In verse 10, Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and you are clean, but not all. Now he's telling them they're clean. All right? And he's, again, he's speaking spiritually. And how do you know that? Because he says, but not all. And who's he talking about there? Who's, who's accepted in this? Look at verse 11. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore he said, You're not all clean. He knew Judas was going to betray him. Judas was marked out for that. Judas wanted no part of this issue of the gospel. And so even though he washed their feet, he did wash Judas's feet too. But he's, he's using that as a spiritual illustration of the cleansing of our sins by the blood that he would shed, the blood of Jesus Christ. And he humbled himself to do this. Let me show you uh, another uh, way of putting that. And it's found in, Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. And it says here, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, that is, and that literally means that He is God, not just a form as some kind of apparition. It means that He is God. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He is God. He is God manifest in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. The Word made flesh, tabernacling among us. But, even though He is God, and even though He is equal with God, and that's not robbery for Him to say that. If any man said that, that would be robbery. Trying to rob God of His glory. It's idolatry. But Christ... Being equal with God is not robbery. But look, even though he is God and equal with God, verse 7, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. His very incarnation, where he was made flesh, think about the humility of that, the condescension of that. God. Becoming man, yet without sin now, understand that. He didn't become a sinful man, and he wasn't ever made sinful. He wasn't ever contaminated with our sin, but he subjected himself in submission as a servant to all the sinless infirmities and weaknesses and limitations of humanity, human life. He got hungry, he sorrowed, he grew tired, he wept, all of these things. He hurt, and mainly, he died, and that's the main thing. Now, God cannot do any of those things. God doesn't get hungry. God doesn't sorrow. I know you'll see language in the Bible that gives God what we call human traits, Sinless human traits. We call that anthropomorphic, but I can say it. And what that means is it's, it's, it's not giving a reality about God in the glory of his person, but it's, it's stating something about God on our level so that we can have some idea of what's going on. But Christ, he was in a human body without sin. And all of that. And look, look back at Philippians 2. It says in verse 8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Oh, I tell you what, the humility there is, is you can't even describe it. You know, no one took him by force and murdered him, even though in the minds of those who were instrumental in the crucifixion, it was murder because they wanted to kill him. But do you know they couldn't have laid a hand on him unless he voluntarily allowed them to? That's what I mean by that. You remember in the garden of Gethsemane when they came to get him, Judas came and pointed him out. And he came out and he said, who do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. And you remember what happened? They all fell back. You remember Peter rose up and cut a man's ear off and Christ took the ear up and put it back on. He willingly went to the cross. You've often heard probably preachers talk about how the cross that he he, uh, was nailed to, he made the tree. That, that that cross came from and all those things are true but he humbled himself and he became obedient even unto death even the death of the cross and it says in verse 9 wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that's his mediatorial glory well that's what he was illustrating back over here in John 13 in the upper room when he washed the disciples' feet The the servant of the covenant. A lot of times in the Old Testament, Christ is called the servant of God, the servant of the Father, the servant of the covenant. In that covenant of grace, He willingly volunteered to be the surety, the substitute, the redeemer and preserver of His people To to come to this earth. God, in the fullness of the time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. And that's what he was illustrating. So he said to Peter, and look, look back at, at uh, verse 10, Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not to, to uh, save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and you are clean, but not all. He's illustrating the power of his blood. It's, it's not just in washing feet. The whole person is washed in the blood of Christ for salvation. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so he says in verse 11, for he knew who should betray him. You're not all clean, he said, but he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, you are not all clean. But look at verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, know ye what I have done to you? Know ye what I've done to you. You call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. The fact that he humbled himself to wash their feet did not deny his lordship, his sovereignty. So I am, he said. But now he puts the illustration towards them to teach a lesson. And what is that lesson? It's humility. Humility. The grace, the gift of humility, which begins in a sinner's life when God humbles him to be submitted to the righteousness of God in Christ, but also works out for us to try to be humble towards one another. And look what he says. He says, So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know you what I have done to you. And then verse 13 You call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. Verse 14, if if I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You ought to be capable and willing to humble yourselves to do the most menial task for each other. Verse 15, he says, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you verily verily i say unto you the servant is not greater than his lord neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him and if you know these things happy are ye if you do them now think about this when we consider you know back over in philippians 2 there was the same same kind of construction here back over in philippians 2 listen listen to this now When Christ speaks of his own humility, he's referring to the cross upon which he put our sins away, the sins of his sheep, by his own blood. Now, there's no way that we do that. Nothing we do can atone for our sins or other sins. The atonement or what we might better say in the New Testament, the reconciliation between God and sinners can only and has only been accomplished by Jesus Christ. No act of faith, no act of obedience, no act of humility that we do by the power of the Spirit can wash away anybody's sins, not even our own. But His humility in accomplishing that task on our behalf should inspire humility within us towards one another. Now I've already read the the heart of Philippians 2 there about the humiliation of Christ. But but look at at what he says leading up to that in chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, consolation means comfort and assurance. If any comfort of love, the comfort of God loving us in Christ. And if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, that's compassion, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let, this is verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, pride, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. And then he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he goes in to talk about how Christ humbled himself being obedient uh, to become incarnate, to, to uh, unite in his deity with a sinless humanity, and to be, become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That was for our salvation. But our humility, which is a gift of God's grace, a gift of the Spirit, one of the fruit of the Spirit, is not to, so that we can be saved. It's to be done in gratitude and grace and love for Christ who humbled Himself so low as to die for our sins. And that's what He's talking about over here in John 13. You know, there are some people who say that Christ established a church ordinance here and that therefore we are to, uh, at times, meet together in a church service and wash each other's feet. Well, that's not what he did. He didn't establish a church ordinance here. Foot washing is not even mentioned as an ordinance in the church. Now, baptism and the Lord's Supper is, but foot washing is not. It's, it's the attitude of humility That causes us to serve one another in praise of the Lord who humbled himself to go to the cross and die for our sins. That's the issue of the foot washing here. And that's what he says. He says, you don't know what I'm doing now, but you'll see it right there. You'll see it on the cross. Hope you'll join us next week for another message from God's word.
0: We are glad you could join us for another edition of Reign of Grace. This program is brought to you by Reign of Grace Media Ministries, an outreach ministry of Eager Avenue Grace Church in Albany, Georgia. To receive a copy of today's program or to learn more about Reign of Grace Media Ministries or Eager Avenue Grace Church, write us at 1102 Eager Drive, Albany, Georgia 31707 contact us by phone at 229-432-6969 or email us through our website at www.theletterrofgrace.com. Thank you again for listening today and may the Lord be with you.